Beyond the Stethoscope, the podcast for veterinarians, healthcare providers, and busy professionals who want actionable, implementable solutions surrounding work-life balance, accomplishing your goals, and living your dreams. I'm your host, Dr. Angela Demery. We are here today with Isaiah Douglas. He is a fee-only certified financial planner and advisor to veterinarians. He graduated from Indiana University in 2012 with his MBA and left a big national firm to found ID Financial Planning and Wealth Management in 2018 to pursue a planning approach that is dedicated to identifying the ways to grow the net worth of veterinarians. Well, welcome, Isaiah. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely. So I'm always so interested to learn about the career path and the genesis of people's companies. So can you share a little bit about what inspired you to start serving veterinarians? Yeah, so for me, if I rewind all the way back, it was really growing up. I came from a larger family, saw finances be a little bit of a struggle at times. So I was always interested in educating myself. And that was initially the the genesis of why I wanted to get in this business. And at the beginning, so much of it was, oh, it's investments. Like, that's what I thought it was. Like, you pick out stocks or you do this or that, and and that's what you do. And it's so far from the truth. But as I mentioned, or as you mentioned in the opening, I worked for a very large firm, saw a lot of different things there. But a lot of the approach at that firm was serving individuals that have kind of already made it. When you have money, you come and work with them. And I felt like that's really kind of bass backwards when you think about it. You want to give people advice and guidance to help build wealth and then be along for the whole ride instead of saying, hey, come back at the end when you've made it so then I can charge you you know, a fee or, or some sort of you know, monetary value on the wealth that we didn't help create. You, you figure it out and then come back. It just seemed very strange to me. And there's a number of other you know, reasons why I left that we can get into and go into any, any depth that you want. But at a high level, I saw you know, issues with, with the model there. And you talk about you know, fee only and CFP. Those are things that I... I value a lot and think very highly of when, when looking at the, the world of financial advice. And so many financial advisors are viewed as you know slightly better than, or slightly worse than Congress people and slightly better than a used car salesman. That's where they fall in kind of this trust level, not quite like veterinarians, which are very trusted members of their community. And if you introduce yourself at a party and you're a financial advisor, you instantly get this like, oh, please don't sell me something. And that's not the case. There's so many great, awesome advisors that I want to be an advocate for seeing the standard of care moved for how people get and receive financial advice. And that was really why I wanted to start my own business. The veterinarian piece um, really spawned from, I serve dentists and veterinarians because there's a lot of overlap in kind of the life stages of, of where you, know, you come out of medical school, you're an associate, young grad, maybe you become an owner of a small business, you never had any business acumen or expertise and then you transition to the thinking about retirement phase and how do you, you know, move out of that business. So those are kind of the three distinct phases and I saw a lot of overlap. I, I initially started based on a personal relationship from high school, so I went to a really small rural high school. Uh, had someone that was a little younger than me, played sports with, got into the, the Indiana Dental School and asked me for some help, kind of just said, you do money stuff and that's how the conversation started. And then as I learned a lot about the industry, found professional partners that were niche focused and a number of them also serve veterinarians. And when I saw how underserved veterinarians were, I looked at that and said, there has to be someone here doing it and doing it in a way that I think is done right. And I couldn't find that person. So 
for me, I wanted to go do that. And I found really good advisors since that are, are doing great things in, in veterinary medicine that I've been able to communicate with and, and partner with and, and really encourage them to continue to do what they're doing. Awesome. And so talking about this money stuff that you mentioned, can you explain a little bit for all of us, what does fee only mean? Yeah. So fee only, think about it this way. Fee only just means if you're going to pay me X amount of dollars for help, that's the only incentive that I have. I'm not selling you something and, and there's any sort of like commission or kickback. Um, there's no, if, if you, if I sell X, Y, and Z, I get a trip to the Bahamas with my wife. There's no internal like benefits of, of doing anything. The way I think about fee only is you're paying for advice and guidance and that's all you should pay for it. It shouldn't be proprietary products. It shouldn't be other things where it gets murky. And a lot of times in financial services, there's a lot of conflicts of interest and fee only really just discloses this is how I'm paid and that's the only way I'm paid. So for me, it just helps clear up and make the, the relationship with clients easier when they know this is how Isaiah is compensated and there's no other way. Yes. And so there's a lot of busy professionals who listen to this podcast in addition to just veterinarians. So do you work with other professionals as well? So dentists and veterinarians, that's my niche. That's where I, I try to stay. And I always explain to other people, I'm happy to have conversations. And if they feel like I'm the right fit, great. If they fall outside of really my realm of expertise, again, I'm fortunate to have really good relationships with other advisors I think very, very highly of. And I'll make referrals to them and I want to see them succeed as well. So I don't ever want to tell someone, hey, don't reach out to me. I just might not be the right fit, but I'll make sure you find someone that's really good. Um, a lot of times it's a personality fit if I feel like we're the right type of person. Um, but yeah, the vast majority of my time and energy is spent on learning and understanding dentistry and veterinary medicine. So yeah, it's not you know analyzing stock options for someone that might be an executive. That's not my strength and I would refer that out. Yeah, that's super cool and interesting. So, you know, do you have anyone in your family in the veterinary or dental profession or was just this just truly someone reached out to you and said, hey, you know something about money stuff and just happened to be in dental school or just graduated from dental school at the time? Yeah, so he had just gotten into dental school and had asked that question. He went to a fairly expensive undergraduate program and already had a significant amount of student loan debt and it was going to add to it. And it was more of just a, a personal relationship and asking. And when I looked at the world, I've always been one that wanted to like specialize in something and not just be a very broad generalist. To me, you're just like shouting into the, you know, the night and no one hears you. Whereas if I'm very dedicated and focused to serving a, a subset of even the medical community, like a very small subset, I can narrow my focus. I can know more than most financial advisors do about their businesses, which makes me more valuable. So selfishly, it makes me look better if I know how they drive revenue in their business, what's the trends in the industry, all these other things that we can talk about because you know, financial advice for me is tying the personal and professional together, especially if they own a business. They're so intertwined, you can't try to break them apart and not understand the biggest asset of their life is their skill set in their business. So you need to understand that. And that's the approach that I took. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. And what, if I might ask, does personal finance mean to you? Yeah, so personal finance, again, I think the personal side is the most important piece, is really trying to align your mission and values, which is I know a lot about what you talk about, um, with how they're spending their money or how they want to approach and accomplish things. So, so many financial advisors will talk about, you know, what's your goals? 
And that's important. And I, I think it kind of gets you know overdone at times where people talk about goals, goals, goals. But that it's important to understand what someone wants to accomplish. I kind of start with, especially with dentists and veterinarians, when they got the letter that they got accepted into to school, what was that initial dream? Like, what did they think they wanted to accomplish? And are they still working towards that? Why not or, or, or great if they still are? And that to me really is personal finances, trying to help them understand what do they want to accomplish and then answering the questions that they have. And it doesn't always have to be, you know, what's the optimized version of this? Sometimes we want to do things that maybe don't make as much financial sense. That's okay. That's part of their personal financial decision. So just because, you know, I want to do something crazy like stay on a yacht for a vacation or, you know, fly to Australia to visit my friends, it doesn't mean that it's always have to be so perfectly aligned that we can't have any fun. We have to save every penny for our financial future, but more around what are those overall goals and dreams and what do you want to accomplish in life and and what do you want to save money for and what do you want to spend money on and how to kind of guide somebody through their financial journey versus just the plug and chug numbers for your future am i understanding that correctly yeah and i you are and that's a really good explanation for me financial planning it's like a living breathing like document it's never like hey here's a leather bound 100 page document that says you can retire when you hit 65 like that's not really helpful and especially with a lot of people that I talk to that are more of you know the the younger generation or up and coming as far as you know veterinarians and dentists that are you know associates just bought practices or been in practice you know probably 10 years or less it's typically who I interact with Projecting out what the next 20 or 25 years looks like is really difficult. It's more of breaking that up into what's the next three to five years look like and then trying to building around that and having conversations that are impactful in that time frame. Because again, as humans, it's hard for us to see and just work and save and save and save for delayed gratification. So try to break up those goals into more micro pieces to help incentivize good behaviors. And then just make sure people, again, spend money on things that matter and not things that they think they should do. A really great book that I recommend a lot of people check out is The Next Millionaire Next Door, which is the second edition of The Millionaire Next Door. Dr. Sarah Falah is an amazing writer and, and researcher in the, the space, and her father's the one that started it. But the, the biggest driver of consumption for anyone is the neighborhood they live in because it's keeping up with the Joneses and seeing, you know, so and so put a pool in, so and so got a new car, they took this vacation. And I think with social media, a lot of times we only see the best 10% of people's lives. And we're always trying to strive to do things that maybe aren't truly aligned with who we are. We just think we need to project that because the people we interact with do as well. As you know, Isaiah, I am a big proponent of helping people live the life of their dreams today versus waiting until they're retired, until they have enough money, until you know X, Y, and Z. What do you think is the balance between cash flow and saving for retirement? It's going to be the, the answer that it depends, which is what <laughs> everyone hates. It's just so difficult to give hard, fast rules about that. But, you know, for me, it's the rules are going to be different depending on the, the life stage that someone's at, too. I say entrepreneurs are different, especially if you own a business. Saving is going to come much later. Reinvest in yourself. So when I talk to, again, clients, we'll focus on vets and dentists or anyone that owns their own business, a lot of times reinvesting back in their business is the best return they can get. So if I have a dollar and I can reinvest back in my business and get 20%, I should probably do that versus go and save it and put it in the market and maybe make half that or less. Because 
it just makes more sense from a long-term wealth creation to reinvest in your business. Oh, and by the way, you have more control over that than you do if you put it in the market. And that, again, that sounds bass backwards if you talk to a lot of different financial planners that want you to save, and, and you should save. Like It's not me saying, hey, don't worry about it, just throw everything in your business. But it's that concentration that can help build wealth for a lot of different people, and then you diversify it later on. And it is a balancing game. Taxes come into play, other things come into play. Um, but yeah, there's no hard, fast rule. Try to save uh, you know, what you can. And when I think about personal finance, kind of 50% of it should be in that fixed cost. So think about mortgages, um, different utilities, all those different things that are fixed. Discretionary, vacations, shopping, entertainment, going out to eat, 30%. 20% of your take home, save it. Pay down student loan debt, pay down you know, the different things that you need to. I throw student loan payments back into savings because in my mind, that's an investment in yourself from education. I know some people would say that falls into the, the fixed kind of payments, but I, I look at student loans as that money then will be realigned once the student loans are paid off back into savings. So 50, 30, 20, it's not an Isaiah thing. It's just kind of the, the, some of the, the guidelines and rules that are out there. All right, so let's dig into that 50, 30, 20 a little bit. So um, you threw a couple of different things out. So with 20%, we're talking about savings and student loan debt. Now, where do you put the rest of the debt in that first 50% of fixed costs and then 30% discretionary spending? So yep. like, where does the car fall into? Yeah, car would be in that kind of fixed piece. Okay. So if you have a car payment, that's gonna be a fixed monthly obligation that you have. Same with the mortgage, rent, same way. So I wouldn't put your mortgage payment in savings or right. so many people think about a home as a, an investment. It's really not, it's a lifestyle decision. There's a lot of really good research that shows that a, the home is a terrible investment and, and barely keeps up with inflation. But again, parents have always said, hey, a home's a great investment. Eh, not really. So, you know, rent or mortgage would be in that, that fixed piece as well. Okay, so the fixed, if I'm understanding this correctly, because I am not the money guy, sure. right, in this conversation. So I get, to, I get paid the big bucks to ask all the dumb questions, I like to say. We're talking about this 50% fixed. Is that really like, all the bills that are coming due on a recurring basis, is that where you would put in the fixed costs? And then can you share a little bit more on that, like 30% discretionary? I mean, gosh, 30% seems like a lot for discretionary, like, cause I'm assuming food goes into fixed costs too, right? Like food, housing, shelter, you know, cl all, not clothes, but all the things that are, you know, necessary for life that are recurring bills that have to get paid or something bad might happen. Is that kind of the fixed cost yep. there? Yeah, you think about it the right way. Okay, and then the 30% for that discretionary income, like share a little bit what that looks like. Cause these are different numbers than what I've heard from listening to podcasts and things like that. So I, I really appreciate you sharing this. Yeah, so again, from the discretionary piece and it gets guidelines for some people, their fixed costs are gonna be lower and they can spend more in discretionary, they save more and they can you know kind of tinker with that. But 50, 30, 20 uh, just typically will make sense with helping control some of the costs and it helps with keeping the fixed costs. So like a car payment. Some people have really expensive and they have two car payments. So trying to keep those things lower, that's kind of where that 50% piece is at. But you know, dining out is usually a bigger expense. Entertainment, travel, all those different pieces. And vacations are not gonna be a monthly thing. It's like, okay, we're gonna go maybe once or twice a year, but that would fall into that 30%. So it's, it's more of just trying to have a structure around where and how you're spending, not as much of trying to control and say, well, you can't go get a latte because it's gonna throw off your 30% of your discretionary. It's 
the discipline, you know, Jocko Willick talks about discipline equals freedom. And I think that's a lot of what budgeting can help do for someone is if you have a disciplined approach and are trying to make sure you stay within, you're not going to be perfect. There's going to be certain months when things happen, you know, unexpected health bill or this or that. And you're going to go over, but just being cognizant of what you spend. So many people make a lot of money and have no idea where it goes. They're like, well, my bank balance is higher than it was last month, so I'm good. Or, hey, I still have money to pay everything and have a little bit left over. That's great. So just trying to be cognizant of it. Again, that's the way that I approach it. That's how I work with clients. But there's no right or wrong reason. I, I don't tell someone, oh, well, you have a budget and it's wrong because you're, you have 60% here and you have 15%. No, like as long as you're trying to save and be you know, thoughtful around what you're doing, the ultimate goal is being able to have a sustainable lifestyle and afford to be able to save for your future without interrupting life because life is important. You should experience things. You shouldn't have to, you know, pile away all this money and then never enjoy it and wait until you're you're old and think, wow, I really wish I would have, you know, taken a vacation with the kids. Or I wish I would have maybe bought that car. Okay. You know, if that brings you joy, then let's try to make that happen today. Yeah, no, I really I'm asking all these questions around this 50, 30, 20 idea. Uh, for two reasons. Number one, I absolutely love principles and numbers. And so uh, Pareto's principle or the 80-20 rule is absolutely one of my favorites, which just basically says you're getting you know 80% of the results from 20% of your efforts. So let's focus more on that 20% efforts to get greater results. And the idea of incremental and marginal gains you know, we've learned or all heard the story of the British cycling team that came out of nowhere. And what they did was say, how can I make this 1% better? How can I make this 1% better? They had these goals of always doing 1% better. And then they were able to go and win the Olympics and their cycling team. So, so amazing with that story. And so those are really inspirational stories for me. And I am I've heard so much in this financial space that your mortgage should be only X number and your your car should be this and and all these line items should be this exact percentage of your income and it makes your head spin. And then what if your values are different from the person who magically created these numbers or they might be rules of thumb, but you might have put, like you said, more value on your car instead of your home or, or you just may have a different value system. And so it's very difficult to wrangle down to that exact line item. And and I love bigger chunks of things. So for me to say, okay, 50% fixed income, 30% discretionary, 20% savings, and then I can up the savings rate and you know decrease somewhere else. And to have that flexibility within the bigger buckets and the bigger picture, seems like there would be a lot more of a release or relief valve sort of approach to having people feel like they're getting on top of things, they're paying down debt more quickly, they're achieving their goals more quickly, and it feels more effortless because they don't have to be so, oh, you've, you've gotten into a mortgage that's $100 more than this like line item and feeling guilty about it or something, when they realize, like, I don't care if I drive a used car, like, I wanted to have a nice house. So, you know, really understanding and making personal finance personal is is what I really appreciate from that conversation. Absolutely, yeah, and it's easy to zoom in then if, if things are a little out of out of whack or it's really heavy in this one spot. Okay, let's zoom in and see what, what's causing that and then go through and say, you know, this is really meaningful and I won't change it because I need or want, this is really important to our family and this other stuff, maybe it's not. 
a big expense that I see a lot that's a fixed expense, childcare. It's really expensive to, to put kids, especially young children in, in childcare. And that's not something people are gonna skimp on. I don't blame them. Um, another being uh, you know, working out or, or paying for a gym membership or you know, their CrossFit membership. Some people, they'll say it's fixed, it's not discretionary because that's so important to the you know, longevity of, of me as, a, in, in, as an individual. And I, I don't fault anyone for wanting to spend more money on that stuff. If it means something to them, you know, make it fit for you. So. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for that. I guess just on this idea of work-life balance, what are some of the best advice or, or some of the wins that you've seen that you were just like so inspired by? So work-life balance and in, inspired by? Um... From a financial perspective. So you're doing a lot of personal finance for people and we're struggling with all these issues surrounding work-life balance. And, you know, I'm guessing you've had a lot of opportunities to really see some really innovative and novel approaches. And so I think sometimes we feel a little out of whack with our work-life balance or work-life harmony or integration or, or whatever word you want to give to that because, you know, also our finances are kind of like the work-life finance balance too, right? So we have like a work-life finance balance, which is more of the triad versus just this work-life balance dynamic. And so how do we sort of integrate our values with money and our values with work and our values with life all together in a meaningful way? So what are some of the big wins and, and the big misses you've seen? I go back to the whole idea of you know, having a sustainable lifestyle and having something where you understand where money is going, it can give you some flexibility if you want to, you know, maybe scale back the amount of hours you work or quit a job that, you know, you're tired of the corporate grind. And I see people, because I'm, I'm focused on serving dentistry and vet med, there's a lot of other professionals that serve that industry as well that might work for some large corporate entities. And, and they've expressed to me through conversations when we're just meeting from more of like a center of influence or state of the, the market on different things, how unhappy they are because they know that I work in personal finance and financial planning and they're talking about, um, you know, I want to quit this job and, and do something different. I had people talk about wanting to start small businesses and knowing that they're not going to make six figures anymore, but they've been saving or they want to, I, I've had a, a client that owns a business, she's a dentist and for her, it's not her passion, it's not her love. It was one of the things that from a family dynamic perspective was really encouraged that she take over the family business because she was smart and she could do it. She could get through school and, and she should do that. And so there was a lot of pressure put on her to do that and she doesn't necessarily love it. So she wants to retire much earlier. So for her, yeah, she makes a good amount of money, but she wants to be able to save to be able to open up her boutique store and, and have a, you know, a venue for weddings and other things that she can do because you know that's what her and her husband want to value is more family time and less her being at work because it's just too stressful and she just doesn't enjoy it. So kind of having those conversations and, and peeling back outside of just, hey, you should invest in this over that, to me, and again, that's the big wins is trying to get to the core of what someone wants to do and, and what's important to them. And there are other people that will tell me like flat out, I need X amount of dollars at this day because I want to retire and that's all that's important. They just want to save and they want X amount of dollars. I try to get, what does that money do for you? And, and try to dig into that more. And sometimes people just, they don't know. They think that they need you know, a, a big pile of money to be able to retire. And it's not necessarily the case. And that's where I go back to that whole 
you know, sustainable lifestyle. If you, if you give yourself flexibility to not, you know, be overreaching and take on a lot of debt, it can give you some flexibility to make decisions and course correct. If you find yourself in a career and you're, you know, mid career and you, you hate life and you don't have the time to spend or do different things that you can go out and find another opportunity and it might not pay you as well. But again, that return on life aspect is, is much, much higher. So that idea of having a little FU money in the bank or some financial freedom so that you really can go out and embrace life and have the freedom to know that there's money in the bank to pay the bills and I can go ride my horse in the middle of the day if that's what inspires me, for example. Absolutely. I mean, even me personally. So, again, I worked at a a large institution and made good money and Within a year of being married to my wife, I kind of went to her and said, I'm not happy doing this. It doesn't align with kind of my values. It's hard for me to sit across the table from someone and say they should work with me here because I just don't believe in this this business. Uh, I want to quit my job and start my own business and probably not going to pay myself for a while. And she was like, okay, if you think that's what you need to do, fortunately enough, you know, I we'd been able to save and had had, you know, the cushion there to start a business. And it's something that I wouldn't have been able to do that you know, a couple of years before that. And you just have to be able to think through and plan. And it was a decision I knew in the back of my mind I wanted to do, but and then once it kind of like the blinders fell off, I knew I couldn't stay here any longer. It was just really hard when you don't believe in something to, to wake up every day, go in and, and try to convince someone or say, you should work with us because of X, Y, and Z, and you don't even believe it. People see through that very quickly. And depending on you know the role that someone's in, if you don't believe in what you do, it's really going to be hard to go in each and every day to work. So you have to have yeah some of that fu money or or money back to where you can say I'm going to take a step back, figure out what I want to do in life, and then go forward. Well, wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing all of those insights with us. So Isaiah, if our listeners want to connect with you, how can they do that? Yeah, so I'm active on Twitter, LinkedIn, and then I have a content site. I call it content because it's a podcast which is the, the Veteran Success Podcast. Uh, I blog and then also have some video content that I put out there. It's called growingyournetwork.com. Feel free to check that out. You can uh, sign up for the email newsletter and I, I share a lot of different things that I read. It's not necessarily content that I produce, but just really good high quality content that again, helps people live a better life and hopefully it's, it's thought provoking as well. But yeah, find me on, on those different platforms. Wonderful, anything else that you'd like to add? I just think people need to, to make sure that at the end of the day, when they're thinking about how they spend money, is it aligning with ultimately where and what they want to do long-term? And if the answer is no, sit down, have a conversation. If you're married, get your spouse, sit down and and try to, you know, take a step back and and realign the purpose of what you're doing. That way, at the end of the day, you can feel more fulfillment and happiness from that. All right. Well, everybody be sure to go check out what Isaiah has to offer on growingyournetworth.com. That is correct. So that's awesome. the, the content site. I appreciate it. And then if you, you want to check out the business, it's idfinancialplanning.com. Well, great. Well, now it's time for my favorite segment of every episode. It is our five questions segment. Are you ready, Isaiah? I'm ready. Well, we know that the most successful and happy people have either a morning or evening routine or both. What do you do each morning or evening that sets your day up for a success? Yeah, so this is a hard question. When I thought about it, I'm like, I'm like not one of those people that has like really good routines. But then I, I took a step back and thought, so we have a five-month-old at home and typically wake up around six, make my wife breakfast, have coffee, 
help her get around and get ready. That way when our son wakes up, hopefully at seven and not earlier <laughs> in the morning, she can feed him and get out the door. But I mean, for, for me, that's really the routine is kind of, you know, co-parenting in the morning and helping everyone get out the door and get out on time. So often as busy professionals, I think we really conflate this idea of success and happiness that when I make X amount of money or achieve this success, then I will therefore magically be happy. And more and more research has been put into place that we really have to do things to generate our own happiness. So I like to ask these two questions separately. First, what's your definition of success? Yeah, so I've seen so many really good definitions of success and trying to make it my own without copying someone else's answer is, being able to do meaningful work that I believe in and feel passionate about that I can wake up every day and and say this is meaningful and it's something that I enjoy doing Um, having optionality in how and who I work with and having time freedom and flexibility is important and then ultimately having my wife and my son when he's old enough you know be proud of the work that I do and who I am to me that's the the definition of success that's lovely and what's your definition of happiness yeah happiness is is difficult, right? Um, I think I fall into the camp, like you, you mentioned, like always trying to move the goalposts. Once you get to somewhere and you set these goals and you have this ambition, and it's like, well, I'm not really happy. Now I gotta go to do this and achieve that. So for me, it's it's being satisfied with where and who you are today and just saying, I've done something, we, I've accomplished this and, and trying to celebrate some of the wins that you've had. That to me is happiness and contentment that you're, a, you're enough, you've done enough. Um, and, really just reflecting on that and not trying to move the goalposts all the time. That is something that really hit me in the last handful of years of not continuing to move the goalpost. Question number four. This might be my favorite question of them all. What do you know now that you wish you would have known 10 years ago? Yeah, so 10 years ago, um, I wish I would have known that life is messy. No one has it figured out. You, you see these people that you think have everything figured out and they really don't. Once you get to know them and sit down and they're frank and have a conversation with you and are honest, they're still trying to figure it out too. There's people that have had long careers that, you know, to everyone out there looks like they are the definition of success and have it made. They're still trying to figure it out. But also, you know, relationships are more valuable than anything else. I think relationship equity that you have and building that you know, brand of yourself or your business is so important. You know, Warren Buffett talks about it from the standpoint of it takes 20 years to build, um, you know, your your brand really, right? And then it can take, you know, two minutes, two seconds to destroy it. So I just think relationships are so valuable. I couldn't agree more. Well said, Isaiah. Question number five, what do you think is the biggest issue facing busy professionals today? This is, this is a good question and a hard one. Um, I think sometimes we have these aha moments when we get a chance to like reflect and relax. So maybe it's on the beach on a vacation, you have all these really good thoughts. You're like, wow, why don't these hit me all the time? Or you're in the shower and you're relaxed and you think like, oh, I should do this or that. And you like remember things that you don't other times. I think having that space to give yourself time to reflect and pause and, and slow down will really benefit someone that's a busy professional because there's so much pressure to perform and achieve and do all these things, but sometimes less is more. And if you just take a step back and say, I'm gonna block out time or I'm gonna do this and actually do it, that can be so beneficial. And people do that in a lot of different ways, whether it's if they're religious, you know, focusing on that, meditation, all these different things, whatever fits for you. I've seen that be helpful to me, although I know that I can do better. I'm trying to, it's easy to say it, it's hard to do it. 
that's the that's the key always so true well thank you so much isaiah for spending so much time with me today and sharing all of your insights on this issue of personal finance you have a wonderful day thank you so much it was a blast that's all the time we have for this week's episode of beyond the stethoscope i hope you are inspired to take actionable steps towards accomplishing your goals and living your dreams really enjoyed this conversation. Or if you'd like to talk more on ending overwhelm in every aspect of your life, or even setting up boundaries, or how do I have more clarity and know what my passion in life really is, then hop on over to Facebook and join us in the Busy Professionals Who Thrive tribe. I can't wait to see you there.